This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, October the 24th, 2023. The uh, the uh, beginning of uh, more debate uh, on Capitol Hill today as the uh, Republicans, the dysfunctional party... <laughs> in our country, try to come up with a new Speaker of the House. It now has been three weeks since Kevin McCarthy uh, was ousted as Speaker, which means it has been three weeks since they have done anything. You know, I was, I was thinking about this yesterday. These guys in the House are all getting paid to do nothing. They essentially can do nothing. They can't pass any legislation. They can't, I mean, they can have committee meetings, I guess, but they are not doing anything to govern this country, yet they are still getting a regular paycheck three weeks into this debacle. This would be like you and I going to work to our office, sitting at our desk, and just reading a book. Or playing a game on the computer and still getting paid and there's not a damn thing that your boss can do about it. And by the way, we are the boss of these representatives that sit in Congress right now. We elected these morons. And we essentially have, you know, a handful, 10, 12, 14 Republicans the far right-wing nut jobs that have essentially shut down our government. And we sent them there. So they're going to have closed-door meetings. There's eight people. There's eight people in the running now uh, for House Speaker. Uh, probably the, the most senior of all of them is Tom Emmer, who is the majority whip out of Minnesota. Uh, but he is a guy that uh, doesn't mind working with the other side, which is a problem for the right-wing nutjobs. Uh, you know, and, and most of the people, by the way, that are running for Speaker of the House, get this, most of the people are conservatives and election deniers that either voted against certifying the presidential election in 2020 when Joe Biden beat Trump or joined in on a lawsuit challenging the results of the election. And these are the people that are now in the running for Speaker of the House. 
what in the hell have has our country become? It is absolutely ridiculous. And how anybody can sit at home and say, oh, yes, these, these people are the smartest people on the planet, and they're the people we should have representing us. I mean, what is the matter with the American people? I always say never underestimate the stupidity of the average American. And... We we have a bunch of them in Congress. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, uh, all the people that are running. You know what she wants to make sure? She wants to make sure that any of the candidates who are going, uh, that are elected Speaker of the House or, or up for Speaker, uh, will pursue impeachment uh, proceedings against Joe Biden and some of his cabinet. I mean, come on! But, you know, you want to do that, and yet you've got a, an ex-president who is running for president again who has been indicted and has so many felony charges against him, it's not even funny, and yet you want to make sure that, oh, my God. So anyway, um, and by the way, we're just a few weeks away from the government shutting down again uh, because it was just a temporary measure that was passed when Kevin McCarthy brokered that deal that ended up getting him bounced to Speaker of the House. We're a few weeks away from that expiring. And if these idiots can't get their act together, the government will just shut down because there's nothing anybody can do. You know, the Senate is is trying to cobble up its own spending bill, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, you have to have both uh, parts of the Senate or both parts of the Congress involved in this. One one of them can't do it on their own. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So, uh, but I mean, hey, look, it's uh, it's given the, uh, the 24-hour news cycle and all the uh, CNN and MSNBC and Fox, everybody else, give them plenty to talk about. But God Almighty, it's ridiculous. All right, let's get to the sane part of, of our lives, and that's sports. Although, if you ask my wife, she'd tell you I'm insane. Um, the uh, Texas Rangers are going back to the World Series. Their first time since 2011. They absolutely beat the crap out of the Houston Astros last night in Game 7, 11-4. Bruce Bochy, the manager of the Rangers, becomes the first manager to ever win an LCS with three different teams. Of course, he took San Diego and San Francisco uh, in the National League to the World Series, and now he's doing it in the AL, coming out of retirement to do that. Good for him. And by the way, we're going to have an all-wild-card World Series, which which is not what a lot of baseball purists want. It's not... Uh, Probably ideally what Major League Baseball wants because all the top teams got knocked out. But no matter who wins that Arizona Phillies game tonight, the game seven, that there they were wild card teams as well. So and Texas is going to be hosting the World Series. They'll they'll start the World Series in their home park and they would have a game seven in Texas if it comes to that. Unbelievable. Uh, Adolis Garcia was named the uh, ALCS MVP. Not a shock. Two more home runs last night. I mean, good Lord. He he homered for his fourth straight game, set a record for RBIs in a postseason series with 15. 
had four hits last night, scored three times, sold some popcorn, and stuck his middle finger out to everybody on that Houston team. After hitting the home run in game five and getting plunked, and uh, he has just been a man on a mission. And it, and it, look, it's what a, he's a great story. I mean, this is a kid from Cuba. I mean, kid, he's 30 years old, but he's a kid to me. Uh, it's my daughter's age. Um but I mean, he was a—he he was the MVP of the uh, Cuban Professional League in 2015. Played in Japan in 2016. Um, defected while he was in Japan because he had been given permission by the Cuban government to play over there. He defected, um, and then the Rangers uh, got him in a trade from the St. Louis Cardinals. He signed as a minor league free agent with the Cardinals in 2017. And six years later, he's the ALCS MVP. I mean, think about this. The Cardinals had him and Randy Arozarena in their minors. Traded them both. And look what they've become. And look how bad St. Louis has been the last couple of years. So... uh, and Houston continues to struggle at home, uh, including the postseason. They were 40 wins and 47 losses at home. You just you can't win like you can't you can't beat anybody if you can't win at home. That's insane. And Texas is eight zero on the road in the playoffs. The only other team to win their first eight road games in one postseason, New York Yankees. Uh, Max Scherzer got the start last night for the Rangers. He wasn't great. They lifted him in the third inning after only 44 pitches. But, you know, look, uh, you know, Houston had jumped out early. And Bruce Bochy said, I, you know, can't take any chances. So he goes to get Jordan Montgomery, who's normally a starter. Matter of fact, he had never uh, been a reliever in a major league game. On two days rest, he comes out of the bullpen and throws two and a third scoreless innings. By the way, he's another guy that came from the Cardinals in a trade. <laughs> uh, so he ends up getting the win, and uh, it was his third win of the postseason. Uh, just uh, unreal. And and Garcia, um, seven homers and 20 runs batted in this postseason. Crazy. And... Uh, by the way, this is the first all-wild-card World Series since 2014. And I think then it was uh, uh, the Giants with Bochy, as a matter of fact, and the Kansas City Royals. That was all the, back, all the way back in 2014. So uh, good for good for Texas. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I've got some friends that are Houston fans. Uh, you know, my buddy Eric Braun, I'm sorry, Eric, but, uh, I, you know, I had to root for Texas. Um a, they're the underdogs. Uh, B, they've got Nate Evaldi. And C, they've got Bruce Bochy, who I think is uh, probably uh, one of the best managers in baseball. I still think Kevin Cash of the the Rays, because what they do every year uh, is crazy. I still think Kevin Cash may be the best manager in baseball uh, because he just continues to win no matter who they give him. But Bochy's right up there. And God love him, you know. Uh, watching him, you know, after having the the surgery on the hips, and watching him walk out to the, you know, to the mound to make pitching changes and stuff, it's almost painful to watch. 
But uh, as an old get off my lawn kind of guy, you got to root for for them. So I, I and and Houston, as I've said many times, Houston has become the new evil empire. You know, with the whole cheating thing back in 2017, and people would like that to just go away. And I and, and I'm not saying they're still cheating; they're not. You know, that's all in the past. But that's something that will taint that franchise for a long time. It's going to be a long time before people forget about that. Um, I mean, hell, Alex Cora wishes people would still, you know, would forget about it. But people were still bringing that up to him this year as the manager of the Red Sox. So, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to go away. So, anyway, the Rangers back in, in the World Series, and as I said yesterday, they are just one of six teams in baseball that have never won a championship. Uh, so that would be cool. I, I'd like to see them win it. Now, if Philly wins tonight, you know, it's going to be tough for me because, you know, my mom and grandmother were born in Philly. I've got relatives in Philly. Uh, so it's going to be tough. But I would like to see, at this point, I'd like to see Texas win it all. Why not? Philly's won World Series. The Arizona Diamondbacks you know, of course, famously uh, beat Mariano Rivera in the New York Yankees, you know, and, and so it would be cool to see a new team win. Um, and, and if it ends up being the Diamondbacks and the Rangers, it'll be very, very interesting to see what kind of ratings they get. As I said uh, earlier, uh, that's got to be Major League Baseball's biggest nightmare is an Arizona-Texas World Series, uh, you know, two relatively small markets and two teams that, you know, unless you live there, you know, you're not following. You don't find, you know, it's not like you go around the country to different games and find a lot of people wearing Diamondbacks and Texas Rangers gear, right? It's not like, you know, you could find Yankee fans everywhere. You could find Dodger and Red Sox fans everywhere, right? Uh, you find Cardinal fans everywhere. Cubs fans everywhere, but uh, Texas and, and Arizona, they are very regional draws, and so it's going to be interesting to see what kind of uh, TV ratings you get. Now, you you know, maybe they'll be good because a lot of people will probably be pulling for the Rangers to win their first title. A lot of people love Boach, um, and uh, I know I think almost every Red Sox fan is rooting for him because of Nate, Nate Evaldi. So, anyway, uh, that game, anticlimactic. Game six in Philly last night, um, I was surprised at the outcome. The Diamondbacks on the road beat the Phillies 5-1 to one after the Phillies just absolutely bludgeoned them to death in the first two games in Philly, just uh, hitting the hell out of the ball. Last night, Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner, and Bryce Harper, the top three hitters in the, uh, the Phillies order, 0-9 with four strikeouts. And then you add in Nick Castellanos, another big bopper who went 0 for 4. Nick Castellanos is 1 for 20 in the NLCS. It's the first time the Phillies have lost at home in the postseason this year. Um, matter of fact, the, the Phillies dropped games 4 and 5 to, to Houston in the World Series, but they had won 11 straight postseason home games against the National League. So that was a surprise. Uh, the bigger surprise last night, Tommy Pham with a, a big home run, a two-run bomb early in that game. Lourdes Goriel hit one right after him, so they go back-to-back. Back. But Pham had been one for 13. He was pissed off that he had been benched. Right? I mean, you know, and I mean, and, and 
Aaron Nola had been great for the Phillies. You know, you figured there was no way that uh, that they were going to lose this game. But Tommy Pham made the Arizona team and fans start believing right away, and Merrill Kelly was great last night for the Diamondbacks. Uh, Merrill Kelly only went five, but he struck out eight. He wanted to go back out for the sixth. Uh, he came out after five and uh, got a handshake from his coach, and you could see him in the dugout. He was like, you know, look, I just struck out the last two guys I faced. He struck out, I think it was uh, uh, Turner and uh, Bryce Harper, like back-to-back to end the fifth inning. He wanted to go back out. He had thrown 90 pitches. And, uh, and Tori Lavulo says after the game, he says, I got to be the parent in the room and make a tough decision and hand it over to the bullpen. And so he did. And they were great. Uh, Ryan Thompson, Saul Frank, who hadn't been very good in this postseason, came out and pitched two thirds of an inning. Uh, Ginkle, Seawald finished it off. And uh, they went four innings, gave up just three hits, no runs. More importantly, they didn't walk anybody. And when you have a game like that, when you're up like four, five to one, the most important thing is don't be walking people. And they didn't. They did a great job. Um, and Cattell Marte continued his great play, hitting 423. It'll be very interesting, you know, to see ends up who ends up uh, becoming the uh, – the MVP of this series. It may well be Cattell Marte. He's been great. Had another hit last night. I believe that's 16 straight games now he is hitting in the postseason. If I'm not mistaken, that's like, uh, I think there was only one other player. I think the record is 17. I can't remember exactly. I'll have to find that. But, man, what a what a great job last night by Arizona. And now we have a game seven tonight at 8 o'clock. And if you had these two guys facing off for a Game 7 on your bingo card, congratulations. Brandon Fott is going to start for Arizona. Ranger Suarez is going to start for the Phillies. Now, both these guys have been great in the postseason. But Brandon Fott's a young kid, had an ERA of 5.7 in the regular season, but in his three postseason appearances, has an ERA of 2. He has struck out 15, walked one in 12 and two-thirds innings. So he hasn't gone deep. But if he can get them five innings tonight and have them in the game, Torrey Lavulo is doing a handstand. Ranger Suarez has been really, really good for the Phillies. Uh, he has pitched 14 innings. He's 1-0 with an ERA of under one. Struck out 13 and walked two in 14 innings. So not exactly uh, what you would have thought you'd see on the mound for a game seven. But uh, I still think the Phillies win this. I just, you know, but you look at, at what Arizona does, and every time people count them out, myself included, look what happens. So uh, 8 o'clock tonight, we'll find out who the other team in the World Series is. By the way, the World Series will start on Friday, so uh, my wife will have a couple of days reprieve before uh, – World Series starts. Um, managing updates. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians are going to interview Stephen Vogt for the second time to replace Terry Francona in Cleveland. Now, he's not the only candidate, but this one's interesting. I mean, look, Vogt isn't very far removed 
from playing. Uh, he's been on the uh, the coaching staff for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, he, I think he's their quality control guy last season. Um, he's also up for the San Francisco job, by the way. He's interviewed there as well. Um, but, you know, he played 10 years, but he retired last year. He retired after the 2022 season. What's kind of cool about him, I don't know if you remember this, but he had a home run in his last at bat. And the uh, the joy of the the, uh, the video of him running around the bases, uh, hitting that home run for the Oakland Athletics in his final major league at bat was uh, was something to watch. But he's one of those guys, and he's he's not old. He's only what thirty eight years old. But he's one of those guys that a lot of people thought would one day be a manager, including, by the way, uh, Bruce Bochy. He played for Bochy. Uh, Craig Council is also. They've all said that you know they think that uh, that's the kind of guy that will one day be a, a manager in the major leagues. I don't think anybody thought it would be this quickly, uh, and he hasn't. He doesn't have the job yet, but uh, that would be interesting. I mean, you're replacing a legend in Terry Francona, a guy that will eventually be in the Hall of Fame, I believe. Uh, and uh, you know, look, I think that Cleveland's poised for a comeback. They had a lot of injuries last year. Uh, especially to that pitching staff, if they're healthy, you know, Stephen Vogt could be walking into a good situation if he manages to get that job. Uh, the update on the Red Sox uh, front office job, well, we still don't have any specific updates other than the Red Sox have paired the uh, the list down for second interviews, and it appears that uh, uh, Craig Breslow is still on the list. Um, I... Uh, He's a fascinating one to me. A lot of people don't think he should have the job because he doesn't have a lot of uh, experience. A lot of people think that maybe it should be Eddie Romero because of his relationship with Cora, the fact that Cora's got so much power. Uh, and Eddie Romero was a big part of uh, uh, the Red Sox courting a lot of these minor, these uh, Dominican kids, Latin American kids like uh, Rafi Devers. He played a big part in Devers being a member of the Red Sox. So, uh, we'll see, but uh, I, they need to get this done fairly soon because when the World Series is over, free agency opens up, and the Red Sox need to hit the ground running. You know, and uh, you know they need pitching. I don't, and they may have to trade to get pitching because the free agent pitchers market is thin. You know, Aaron Nola is going to lead that list, but uh, the way he's pitched in the the postseason. I think it's more and more likely uh, that the Phillies open up the uh, checkbook and make sure they keep him there for a while. So we'll see. Um, and one last baseball note. This is bizarre. I didn't even know this was a possibility. There is a new baseball league starting in Dubai. It's only going to have four teams uh, to start. Mariano Rivera and Barry Larkin. Hall of Famers, great players, are actually investors in this league. It's going to be called Baseball United. And they're going to be uh, – it's going to play next fall, I believe, is what I what I read. And uh, so four teams. Or is it this fall that it's going to play? I'll have to double-check that. Maybe it's this fall. It must be this fall. Um and there's going to be four teams this year, and then they're going to unveil four new teams next year. 
Uh, he said that the uh, the rules are going to differ from Major League Baseball. He said, including things you'd never see in other professional baseball leagues. And he said he's doing this, uh, and, and I say he, it's uh, Cash Shake, who's the president and CEO of the, uh, the league. And they're doing this because they're trying to get into the area where cricket is the big sport. Cricket is huge over in that section of the Middle East and Asia. Uh, especially in India, the number matter of fact, the number one they did a draft of this, and the number one pick in this draft was a guy uh, named Karen Patel, who in 2017 was the first player of India descent uh, taken in MLB's amateur draft. He was taken by the White Sox, uh, and he spent this past season in the Independent League, uh, the Pioneer League. But what's bizarre about this? They did the draft. And some of the people were taken were some ex-Major League Baseball players. Get this. 50-year-old Bartolo Colon was drafted. Robinson Cano, who's 40. Pablo Sandoval. Remember him? 37 years old. He was selected. Didi Gregorius. Andrelton Simmons. I mean, these are guys that, you know, legit Major League players. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll be very curious to see what the rules look like. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they'll do some of the rules like the Savannah Bananas, like if the ball's hit into the stands and the fan catches it, the batter's out. Uh, I don't know, but uh, just bizarre. Bartolo Colon, 50 years old. He just recently officially retired uh, with the New York Mets. Uh, hasn't pitched uh, in the majors since 2018. Now, he did kick around in a little bit in the Mexican League, I think, and uh, uh, down in, the, uh, in Latin America, but 50, 50 years old. Good Lord. So uh, that ought to be very, very interesting when they get things underway. It is 31 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, NFL football last night, in, in between all the uh, baseball, I was switching back and forth between the games, and the Minnesota Vikings pull another upset. Uh, they beat the San Francisco 49ers last night 22-17. to San Francisco was a seven-point favorite going into this game on the road at Minnesota. And now, look, the 49ers were without Debo Samuel, who's going to be out for a few weeks. Um, their left tackle, Trent Williams, was out. Um, but this is a great San Francisco 49ers defense. I mean, they are – it's one of the best defenses in football. And last night, they had no answer. Kirk Cousins lit them up for 378 yards passing. Minnesota had 452 yards of offense last night. Absolutely unbelievable. Jordan Addison – look, Minnesota goes into this game – Right, without Jefferson, their best wide receiver. So Addison steps up, seven catches, 123 yards. Um, <laughs> unreal. I mean, the biggest one happened right before halftime. He wrestled a ball away from the defensive back uh, with seven seconds left in the first half and goes in for a 60-yard touchdown, which uh, increases the Minnesota lead to 16-7 to at the half. 
got a field goal early. So now it's 19-7. You know, and then here come – it's like here come the 49ers. You know, uh, three plays later, you know, Christian McCaffrey takes a pass from Brock Purdy. They score. Now it's, you know, it's 19-14. But Minnesota, again, they get a score just at the end of the third quarter. They come up with another field goal. Uh, San Francisco really never able to get anything going. Brock Purdy was picked off twice last night. Uh, McCaffrey got knocked out of the game the week before, played last night, ran for 45, caught for 51. Not having Debo Samuel makes a big difference, but Brock Purdy with a couple of bad interceptions last night, including one late in the game. Uh, But the surprise to me last night was the fact that this Minnesota team just made the 49er defense look awful. I mean, it's unreal. You know, and, and you know, I, people have said, well, you know, that, that they're not as good as they were last year. That's still a very, very good defense. And, and here's the most, you know, one of the most surprising stats to me. This San Francisco team has been good for years. Kyle Shanahan, great coach. Do you know that when trailing by eight or more points in the fourth quarter, including the playoffs, the 49ers are 0-36 under Kyle Shanahan. That was shocking to me that they have never had a fourth quarter comeback by trailing by eight or more, which is, by the way, what they were trailing last night. They were down 22 to 14 at the end of three. I just was surprised by that. You know, a team that has won as much as they they have, you would have thought uh, that they would have pulled that off. But now they have lost two in a row after losing to Cleveland last week. Now they get Cincinnati coming up on Sunday. Cincinnati's no great shakes. You know, Cincinnati's a 500 team but uh, and only averaging about 16 points a game, but they're starting to play a little bit better. Joe Burrow is playing a little bit better. But this 49er team better figure it out. I mean, the only the good news for them is they play in the NFC West. And they have a half a game lead over Seattle. I don't think Seattle is that big a threat to catch them, but I also didn't think there was any way in hell they were losing to Cleveland and Minnesota on back-to-back weeks. So, and they're not going to have Debo Samuel again next week. So, and look, the, the 49ers schedule, uh, they've got Cincinnati. They, then they have to play at Jacksonville. Then they play Tampa. I mean, y- you figure they're going to win. They should win all three of those games. And then they've got – but they still have to play Seattle twice. And the first one's coming up Thanksgiving Day. They're at Seattle on Thanksgiving Day. So that will be interesting. But they still have to play them twice. But their schedule is not that difficult down the stretch. But they need to figure this out in a hurry and get this thing righted before the slide becomes three. But that was a a very big surprise last night. Uh, The officiating was the the talk again last night. The officiating this weekend – uh, we've heard a lot of things about what's going on with the officiating in the NFL. Uh, but nothing was more egregious than what happened. And I didn't even realize this, to be honest with you. When I was watching that Eagles-Miami game, Miami got flagged 10 times. The Philadelphia Eagles were not penalized at all in that game. Ten penalties for Miami, none for Philly. There were a couple of offsetting penalties, but and there were some other ones that Philly should have been called on, and they weren't. I mean, it's just – and then you you look at that game, that Colts-Browns uh, game, 
two back-to-back calls. The second, the first one, I, I, I'm okay with. The second one was a ball that was thrown away, and there was no chance anybody in hell anybody was catching that. And then they end up calling the penalty, and then the Browns end up winning the game, a game that really I think was stolen from the Colts. You know, and I just think that we've gotten to a point where the NFL is going to have to do something. You know, look, we see this in baseball, right? How many times do we watch a baseball game? And and I know that I know that that box that they show on television is not accurate. Okay, it because it's that is a uh, a two dimensional representation. It is not accurate. It's fairly close, but it's not accurate. We have seen so many times this season and in this postseason balls that are clearly six, eight, ten inches outside are being called strikes. During the regular season, it was even more brutal. You know, you supposedly have the best of the best when you get to the playoffs, right? So you would expect it to be a little bit better. But we have seen, you know, a lot of strikes and balls that aren't close. And you really can't tell unless they show, to me, and I wish they'd show this more. I wish they had, they showed the angle, like from the catcher's view. It's a lot easier to see whether a ball misses or not than it does looking at that box. People look at that box on the screen and they think that's gospel. It's not. But there are balls that have been clearly well outside that have been called strikes in this World Series. And it's not, you know, I mean, in this playoffs, and it's not close. And we've got the same thing now in the NFL. So it, it, it's, we see it in soccer, we see it in basketball all the time. Everybody questions it. Um, but I think we might be getting to a point in the NFL where the NFL is going to have to, you know, they had that one season where they were reviewing pass interference calls and, and, you know, seeing if they were legit or not. But we've gotten to a point now where the NFL may have to consider this because they have former NFL officials as parts of the broadcast teams now. Terry McCauley does it for NBC, uh, has been killing a lot of the calls that have been made. Um, Gene Steratore does the same thing for CBS, and they've been saying, hey, uh, you know, there might need to be some conversations made here. And some of these calls, Macaulay called one of the calls the other night, a ticky-tack call. Look, we might be getting to a point, and, I, and I'm, I'm not a favor of overusing replay, but we've gotten to a point that maybe, just maybe, we need to start looking at it, especially some of the ones like uh, there's been some roughing the passer calls that have just been egregious. You know, it's like if you breathe on a quarterback, it, they're calling it. It's just ridiculous. And, and some of these pass interference calls, it just, it's been a joke. I don't have a problem usually with holding calls and stuff like that. But, but pass interference has been, it, it's, it's just, it's out of control. But, and when you have guys that are former officials looking at these calls going, eh, I don't know. You know, it might be time for Roger Goodell and the NFL front office to uh, take a look at some kind of a review system. Um, one other college football note, we mentioned it briefly last Friday when Dan Zampata was on that uh, Michigan, University of Michigan, is being investigated uh, for electronically stealing signs from their opponents. Now, Michigan says they have, you know, they have no knowledge of it. Um, Jim Harbaugh says, not me, 
You know, I don't know anything about this, but they have suspended the guy that was responsible for doing this, a guy by the name of Connor Stallions. Well, now evidence has come out that there are ticket buys to a whole bunch of games in the Big Ten under the name of Connor Stallion. One school found uh, tickets to at least four of their home games over the past two years under this guy's name. Eleven different schools in the Big Ten said they have evidence that he purchased tickets to at least one of their games over the last couple of years. That's a problem. Um, So even if... Jim Harbaugh didn't send him out to do this and wasn't responsible. At the end of the day, Jim Harbaugh is responsible for anything that happens in his program. He just came off of a three-game suspension. If this is as bad as it looks, he's getting suspended again, and Michigan might find themselves out of a bowl game. Look, there are no NCAA rules against stealing signs, but there are rules against using electronic equipment to record opponents' signals. And one of the NCAA bylaws bans, uh, quote, this is a quote, off-campus, in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season. You know, when I was coaching in Division Three. We used to be able to send, when I was coaching basketball, I was an assistant coach, and I used to go out and scout our opponents because you could do that. In Division One, everything must be done via tape. You uh, exchange tapes with your future opponents, and that is how you scout. You are not allowed to scout in person. And this guy, Stallions, um, was hired as an off-field analyst, is what his title was, in May of 2022. Um, and by the way, this guy is a retired captain in the Marine Corps, and he's a graduate of the Naval Academy, and this is the guy that's cheating. Oh, Lord, not a good look. You know, and then I guess in his defense, as an ex-military guy, you know, his way of looking at it is probably, hey, you need reconnaissance. That's how you win a battle. You have to have reconnaissance. And so I guess that's maybe, maybe he took it upon himself to do this. Maybe Jim Harbaugh, but at some point, Jim Harbaugh is going to say, how did you figure this out, right? I mean, at some point, somebody's got to say, geez, this is awesome, but how did you get this? So it doesn't look good for Michigan. If this is really true, it's not looking good for Michigan and uh, <laughs> and and Jim Harbaugh. Yuck, what a mess. 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. Here on a Tuesday morning, a no-show tomorrow or Thursday. I have an appointment uh, tomorrow, and then on Thursday I have to take my car in to get some work done on it. So uh, we will not be here tomorrow or Thursday. We will be here on Friday. Dan Zapano, of course, will join us uh, for his normal Friday NFL visit. So uh, uh, we won't be here for the next couple of days, but we will be back on Friday. Uh, the NBA season kicks off tonight. Um, two games tonight, uh, the Lakers and the Nuggets at 730 and then the Phoenix Suns 
and the Golden State Warriors at 10. So it'll be an all-Western Conference start to the NBA season. And frankly, that's where all the power is in the NBA this year. Uh, the Denver Nuggets, of course, are defending champions. You've got, you've still got the Golden State Warriors over there. The Phoenix Suns are loaded. Uh, Dallas is going to be interesting. I still think that uh, people are like excited that Kyrie Irving is going to have a full season with Luka Doncic. I'm not sure that that's that's necessarily a good thing because Kyrie Irving is a is a train wreck. Um, I have a hard time seeing anybody beating the Nuggets this year. I really do. I think the Nuggets may repeat as NBA champions, uh, but with the exception of the Celtics and the Bucks, there is nobody. In the Eastern Conference, I, I mean, look, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are as dysfunctional as it comes. You know, Joel Embiid is uh, uh, the reigning MVP, but he has a very contentious relationship with the ownership there. He has said a lot of bad things about his ex-coach. Uh, it's just a mess. James Harden uh, is supposedly on the team, but he's he skipped practice. You know, I mean, it's it's like, uh, you know, it's been a mess. I mean, they had Ben Simmons who was a mess, so they get rid of Ben Simmons and they bring James Harden in. James Harden's been worse. James Harden is cancer. But outside of the Celtics and the Bucks, I don't see anybody in the Eastern Conference. And, and I think the Celtics have a decent chance uh, to get to the NBA Finals. I'm not sure they have enough to win it. Uh, look, they've made some great additions. Drew Holiday is going to be great, great defensive player. If Irving and Jalen Brown stay healthy, uh, the guy that may have a great season is Porzingis. Um, because they look, they brought him in. Um, he played in Dallas for two and a half years. They've they've brought him in, and with all the attention that's going to be paid to Tatum and Brown, you know, I think Porzingis has a good chance to have a quietly a quietly great year everybody's going to be you know looking at Tatum and Brown and you may look up on the scoreboard in a lot of games and find out Porzingis has been their best player uh so it'll be interesting but I I think the Western Conference uh, I think they're going to win it easily again I really do I you know I'd love to see the Celtics win it and put another banner up in the rafters but uh, I don't see it I really don't but Celtics will start their season uh tomorrow night they play at the New York Knicks to begin their year. Uh, some sad news out of Georgetown. Uh, Tasha Butts died yesterday. She is their, was their women's basketball coach. She's only 41 years old. Uh, passed away from breast cancer. Um, she had just taken the job um, in April. So she hadn't even coached a game at Georgetown. Uh, but had to step away. A month ago, because of her uh, cancer treatment, she'd been battling this for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, they named an interim coach and everything and, and uh, took a turn for the worse, and she passed away yesterday. Uh, 41 years old. Uh, this is a woman, by the way, played in the uh, WNBA, um, played at UCLA in college. Uh you know, actually, I'm sorry, she played at Tennessee for Pat Summit. Then went to coach at UCLA after uh, leaving the WNBA. She also worked at LSU for eight years. 
Uh, and then she was at Georgia Tech before getting the job at Georgetown. Um, but uh, before she ever got a chance to uh, coach a game, she passed away at the age of 41. So uh, the sad news out of uh, Georgetown. And sad news for a pet owner in Lisbon, Portugal. Yesterday, Bobby died. Uh, Bobby was the world's oldest dog ever. Bobby lived, get this, to be 31 years old. That is unbelievable. Uh, it was it was a breed of dog, a Portuguese dog called the uh, Alentejos, and they have an average life expectancy of only 10 to 14 years. This dog lived on a farm uh, in a little, you know, little, little village in Portugal and lived to be 31. It was a, he was born on May 11th, 1992. His owner was only eight years old when he was born. That is unreal. Uh, by the way, it broke the record. The previous uh, longest, uh, oldest dog was uh, 29 years old. And that was back all the way, uh, a, an Australian cattle dog back in 1939 died at the age of 29. So it had been a long time. 31 years old. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, that is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back Friday. Uh, I hope you all have a great couple of days. I'll be rooting for uh, the Phillies tonight. Uh, and uh, hopefully, and, and you know what? The other reason why I would love a Phillies Texas World Series because the, the, I mean there there will be home runs hit everywhere with the amount of power on those two lineups. I mean we've got a, we've got an opportunity for some very very entertaining games if those two teams square off in the uh, World Series. So I'll be rooting for the Phillies tonight. We'll talk about that when we uh, when we get together on Friday. Going to leave you this morning with some music from Dire Straits. This is called The Bug. We'll see you on Friday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.